right, it's good to see everybody today. Amen, amen. So, uh, awesome. Uh, We're going to dive right into things. Uh, You know, Romans chapter 3 is uh, several theologians have said it's the most important paragraph ever written in the Bible or anywhere else. And so... um, I'm uncharacteristically nervous about this message because of that. <laughs> you know, after preaching for 39 years, you, you know, sometimes you just don't get that nervous. But I'm, I'm kind of filled with trepidation. I don't want to mess up on this particular sermon. But before I, I'm going to pray here in a minute. But before I pray, I think Steve and Lisa are here somewhere. There they are. So are you guys here officially? We're here. All right. So amen. Great to have you guys here. Awesome. Uh, amen. Yeah, uh, Lisa lived with us for a few years and when our kids were tiny. So, uh, so anyway, a uh, lot, lot of years and a lot, uh, lot of good associations there. Uh, the Righteousness of God, that's the title of the sermon today. Let's pray. Uh, Father, thank you so much for this Roman series, and I pray that in the next uh, few minutes that we can... Um, uncover some of the most important truths that have ever been written and understand them in our souls. I, I, I believe the fruit of this will be, will be the right kind of reverence and awe and gratitude and joy and encouragement that we can carry with us all through our lives. If we could just see, and if I can just do a good job, an adequate job of, of unraveling these great truths. Please be with me and please be with all of us as we listen to your word. Thank you so much, God. It's through your son's name we pray. Amen. So uh, we're not even going to go to the first few verses of Romans chapter 3, verses uh, 1 through 8, I think it is. Uh, but I'll just say this about that. In that first section, uh, he's basically talking about, uh, he's already said that the, the Jewish people are in the same boat as the Gentiles. And in chapter 3, he's really going to nail that. We're all in the same boat. None of us deserve salvation. None of us can be saved by law. And the big and bad assumption, point number one, the big and bad assumption that the Jewish people made was that because they were, a, they, God used them as a nation, they would get like a free pass to heaven. And I will deal with that when we get to Romans chapter 9 through 11, okay? So, so I'm not... This is the first eight verses are super important. I'm not saying they're not. I'm just saying we'll deal with that in more detail. But we want to get to the most important paragraph that was ever written in verses, chapter 3, verse 21 through 26. That's the heart of the gospel. If we don't, if we don't get that, the deep truths in there, we actually don't even understand the gospel, which is the most important message ever given. So, so Paul basically says in those first eight chapters, because they're accusing Paul of, of preaching false doctrine, because Paul, you're saying the chosen people aren't even chosen. They're not even God's team. That doesn't make sense. Okay? Every time I've ever been chosen in my life, I was on the team. A lot of times I was the last one chosen, but I was on the team. I'm not exaggerating about that, but anyway. <laughs> so, 
Uh, but, but Paul straightens it all out, and that's what he's going to do with the rest of chapter 3, indeed the rest of the book. Okay? And he basically, basically says you have to be a Jew from the heart by the power of the Spirit and the message of the cross. And he's really going to get into this in the next few chapters. Point number two already. All right, we're going to read some, uh, we, we're going to start reading in chapter 3, verse 9. Point number two, Sinbad in the Lost World. That was actually a movie, 1965. Okay? Don't watch it. It was really cheesy. But uh, I think it had skeletons fighting, you know, and all this stuff. It was, anyway, cheesy movie. But uh, uh, point number two, starting in verse 9, it, the whole point of this passage is to reveal the badness of sin. The exceedingly sinfulness of sin. That's a verse in Romans 7. I'm prepared for you not to like this point. But if we go to a church that we're always comfortable in, you're not going to a church. But we'll, we'll save the day when we get to the rest, of, <laughs> the rest of the message. Okay? But I'm prepared for that. I don't even like this point. But, amen, since I'm not God, I don't get to change anything like that. All right, let's read. What Paul does here in this passage is, and I love the early authors of Scripture because they do this, he strings together 14 passages out of the Old Testament to make his point. That's a good lesson for me and the other preachers. Hey, we need to use the Bible extensively, Old and New Testament, right? There's a lot of things we can draw on, but let's use the Bible far more than anything else. Amen? That's the only way we can keep ourselves safe in the arms of God. But starting in verse 9, he says, What then are we, Jewish people, better off, the chosen people, better off? Certainly not. We have, all, we have already charged that Jews and Greeks alike are all under sin. Just as it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. Together they become worthless. There is no one who shows kindness, not even one. Their throats are open graves. They deceive with their tongues. Poison, the poison of asps is under their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery are in their paths. And the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now you go, whoa, that's a little too strong. I mean, no one righteous? What about Job? God bragged about his righteousness. No one who seeks God? Well, a lot of people have sought God. The point isn't saying that people haven't been really good people or that no one ever sought God. But when you stand before the holiness of God, the holy law of God without Jesus, no one ever does that enough because no one ever does that perfectly. That's the point of this passage. Okay? If, if we would understand the depth of our sin, that's not a bad thing to understand that. 
then we'll be more grateful for the solution for our sin. If you find what you've been saved from, if you discover it by understanding the, the depravity of your own sin, then you'll be a lot more grateful for King Jesus. And that's where we're going here, okay? All right, better get to my messy notes. No one is righteous enough. No one seeks God always. That's the point, okay? The Bible goes out of its way. Oh, I want to say something. The Calvinist doctrine, total depravity, it's false. Sin is totally depraved, but not people. That's the whole point. Jesus goes, man, they're worth so much to me in spite of the ugliness of their sin. But there's something so beautiful in every one of us that he goes, I've got to find a way to retrieve them, save them, remake them, restore them to a face-to-face relationship with me. So don't buy into that garbage that you're garbage. Your sin is, but you are a treasure to God. And that's, that's why Jesus died for us. Okay. The Bible goes out of its way to describe the ugliness of sin. Some of these, some of these we avoid these descriptions because they're so caustic. Matthew 5, Jesus says it'd be better if you gouged out your eye, cut off your hand. Oh, he's just exaggerating. Is he? He's, he's not saying that's, he's not suggesting to do that. There's better ways to overcome sin. <laughs> but what he is saying is whatever it takes to overcome, to change, whatever painful measures you have to go after, then do it. Because sin is ugly and it can condemn you. Fight it with all your heart. Don't play with it. You know, after Dustin preached last week, it, it really got my heart, and I drove over to Joel's house, and I confessed some sin. I thought they were just little things, little looks I shouldn't take, brief moment. I go, if I don't get open about even the smallest stuff, six months from now, it might be bigger. So thank you, Dustin. And I encourage us to have those kind of responses to all these sermons and every sermon. Second Peter, um, <laughs> you know, we love dogs. You know, we're a dog family. We're an animal family. We, we've had all kinds of animals. Uh, the one thing we love about Charlie, as opposed to our other dogs, Charlie has never puked and then eaten it back up. That's really cool. Because some of our, our dog before him, he would puke, blah, 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 eat it back up. I'm like, Harley. His name was Harley. Sheesh. Uh, not long ago, I was very sick because I was passing kidney stones and I was in so much pain that I was all night long. You know, I didn't even get tempted to yell to Kelly, hey, honey, <laughs> honey, could you get me a spoon? Could you get me a spoon? <laughs> That's disgusting. I, has anybody ever done that? Puked in the toilet and ate it back up? Anybody ever done that? 
I'll give $500 to you if you've done that. See, I was so sure nobody did it that I was willing to risk $500 that I don't have. Now, we're laughing, but that's one description. That's how God sees it. There's a passage in Numbers that there were the Levites that uh, took care of transporting the holy articles, the, the forks and the different things that were used to, you know, in the sacrificial meat and all that. And it says that if, if these Levites, Aaron and his sons would have to go and cover up all these utensils because they were holy. If they, these Levites would just take a peek, it says God would instantly kill them. That's what it says. You go, I don't like that, God. Well, that's scripture. We gotta fig- I used to avoid those scriptures, right? I used to like, boo, I don't like that, God. I'm going to go look for the loving God. But that's in the Bible. And what I did for a lot of years was avoid that. Now I, now, I, now I get it, I think. So the Bible says if you looked for a brief second at one of the holy utensils used to sacrificial meat, you would die. That's how bad sin is. Isn't it a miracle that we're alive? <gasps> that was a gracious breath. This shouldn't depress us. This should fire us up, man, I'm telling you. Hosea, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, they always looked at sin as spiritual prostitution. Read the book of Hosea. God is deeply hurt. Those aren't just anthropological, did I say it right, <laughs> stunts. God really gets hurt when we sin, emotionally. Where do you get your emotions from? God. He really gets hurt. What about Jesus at the time? He said, if anybody brings in sin into the church family, what, were, what, what did he say there? Pat him on the back? No, what did he say in Luke 17? Someone brings sin into the church. I'm not talking about you messed up or like that. I'm talking about they bring in sin and they're hurting the church. They're bringing in divisiveness. Uh, they're, you know what I'm saying? They're deliberately sinning before God in a rebellious and arrogant way. What does he say to do? Or he doesn't say to do it, but he's to tie a millstone around his neck, throw him into the bottom of the sea. That's your Jesus. He said those things. Sin is bad. I told you you wouldn't like this point. Sin is bad, and the world is lost. But we've been saved, and we do not deserve one second of it. Not even after baptism. Every single second, it's by grace. And one of the coolest passages in the Bible, Luke chapter 7, somewhere between, somewhere near verse 50, where Jesus forgives this woman, you know, this prostitute, and, he, and she loves him so much, and he says this, those who know they've been forgiven much, love much. Yeah. When you know you're forgiven, when you understand the depravity of your sin and what you're forgiven of every single day, not just on the day of your baptism, man, you, you become a loving person. 
a grateful, loving person. All right, amen. Point number three. Thankfully, the Bible doesn't end (laughs) in verse uh, 18 there in chapter 3. Praise the Lord, right? (laughs) Woo! Um, The great riddle unraveled. All right, let's go in our Bibles to Exodus chapter 34. You know, Exodus 34, this passage I'm going to read, is the John 3.16 of the Old Testament. It is, <laughs> amen, uh, it, 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 it was quoted more often than any other verse in the Old Testament by prophets, and so, so it's really important. And this is God's first disclosure of his character to man. So it's really important passage. And it actually explains why Jesus died on the cross. But there's a riddle in this passage. And I remember the first time as a young Christian, I read this passage, I got really uncomfortable with it. It was like, what? Let me just read it. Uh, Moses is in a mountain, and God is coming by. Uh, God covers him with his hand when he goes by, because if he would have saw his face, he would have died. That's, that's Exodus 33, 20. And then after he passes by, Moses is able to see God's backside. One theologian, I don't know if I should even say this, Moses saw God's holy hiding. <laughs> I don't know if I should have said that. I'm under grace. <laughs> so so he's, he, he sees his backside, and then God says this as he's walking on by. The Lord descended in the cloud, verse 5, and stood with him there and proclaimed the Lord by name. The Lord passed by before him and proclaimed the Lord The Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in loyal love and faithfulness, keeping loyal love for for the thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression transgression and sin. Oh, don't you just love that verse? But, yet... I, I saw a guy talking about the character of God, and he only, he only quoted this part. I'm like, ooh, be careful, my friend. Yet, he by no means leaves the guilty unpunished. And I was a young Christian, I went, that's a contradiction. That doesn't make sense. I'm guilty, I know I'm guilty. I'm still guilty sometimes. So which is it? Are you forgiving? Or are you going to punish the guilty? Proverbs 17, 15. God hates both. He hates acquitting the guilty and condemning the innocent. That's what happened at the cross. The innocent got condemned and the guilty were forgiven. That's what Romans 3 is about. God hated doing what he had to do to save us. But that's how much he loves us. Wouldn't you hate? Wouldn't you hate? Would you even come up with that idea? Crucify my son so another kid down the block could be saved? That was God's idea.
All right, so I probably should finish. But he by no means leaves the guilty unpunished, responding to the transgressions of the fathers by dealing with the children and children's children to the third and fourth generation. This doesn't mean that, that kids are, are held guilty for their parents' sins. If you go to Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 9, it explains that when the kids do the same thing and reject God, then they're punished. Okay, just wanted to throw that out there because sometimes people really struggle with that verse. All right, let's go back to Romans chapter 3. Now we're going to read what many claim to be the most important verses ever, ever written. Verse 19. Um, now we know that whatever the law says, the holy law says, it says to those under the law, under law, so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world may be held accountable to God. If we understood our sin, we wouldn't struggle so much with trying to earn our salvation because we go, that's impossible. There's just no way. It's a sign that we don't understand the holiness of God. But now, I'm sorry, wait, verse 20. For no one is declared righteous before him by works of the law. That was his point in the verses earlier. For through law comes knowledge of sin. The law wasn't given to save us. It was actually to show us. It was actually to reveal to us how desperate we really are for a Savior. That's what the Jews should have saw instead of like, hey, we got the law. We're saved. Possession of the law isn't what counts. It's practicing it, which we've all failed at. But now apart from the law... Or uh, the righteousness of God, although it's attested, although it is attested by the law and the prophets, has been disclosed. God being righteous has been disclosed. You know why it says that? Is because God looked really unrighteous for a long time. You, most, not most, a lot of people think that. God was a God of wrath in the Old Testament. And now he's a God of love. That is such a massive misunderstanding. First of all, God's always the same. All right? God was actually the opposite. If you read Psalm 78, you get time after time after time after time he forgave. Psalm 103, God does not treat us as our sins deserve. That's why we're alive. There were moments where God broke in, like with Lot's wife, Uzzah, you know, Ananias and Sapphira. That's New Testament, by the way. And we struggle with those verses, and I did too, until I understood the holiness and the love of God which is perfectly demonstrated at the cross. I don't struggle with this passage. By the way, just freebie point here. You know, Ananias and Sapphira and all those other folks, they could be in heaven. It doesn't say they were condemned salvation-wise. It just said God broke in and they died because they were irreverent. Actually, they've been treated gracefully all their lives, graciously all their lives, because that wasn't their first sin. You understand? Don't you sometimes walk around thinking, "I hope 
these people I'm sharing my faith with, don't ask me about Lot's wife. <laughs> now you can answer them. Because the answer's in Romans 3. We're about to read it. But now apart from the law, the righteousness of God, oh, I read that part, uh, the righteousness of God has been disclosed, verse 22, namely the righteousness of God through faithfulness of Jesus Christ. That's, to me, the best translation of that. Some say faith in Christ. We're saved because of the faithfulness of Jesus Christ, because he didn't back down from doing God's will. He overcame his feelings because he was a perfect disciple, and he overcame his feelings and said, I will do this. I will do the will of God because I'd rather die than not live with my people for eternity. I would rather die than displease my God. And so we won that battle in the garden, and then he went to the cross, and at the cross we see perfect holiness and perfect love. And the riddle of the Old Testament is unraveled. And then you can understand how God can, uh, who must punish the guilty, can save guilty sinners in a righteous way. That's what Romans 3 is about. Okay? For there is no distinction, uh, sorry, namely the righteousness of God through the faithfulness of Christ Jesus for all who believe, put their faith in him. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned. Man, he's really made that point. And fall short of the perfection, the glory of God. But they are justified freely. It's a gift. You understand the depth of your sin, you understand the gift. And you're so grateful for it. But they are justified freely by the grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. No place else. Nobody can be saved without Jesus. No matter what law they're under. Conscience law, Romans 1, uh, 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 you know, the, the Sinai law, and even the strictest law of all, the Christian law. But we're not saved by law. We're saved by Jesus Christ. God publicly displayed him at his death as a mercy seat accessible through faith. So his death is the most important thing that ever happened, of course, along with the resurrection that followed and the exaltation. But at his death, he, he meshed holiness and love in a, in a righteous way. He solved the riddle, the divine dilemma. How can God righteously save a sinner like you and me without condoning sin, making light of his holiness. How can he do that? Um, you know, it, 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 it wasn't like... You know, again, it wasn't like Jesus gave God a Snickers bar. Remember those commercials? I watched him the other day. It's just so funny. You know, hey, you're hungry. You're not yourself today. Have a Snickers, you know. It's like, whoa, all of a sudden they're better. God didn't need a Snickers bar. He's always been himself. 
That's the point. He always has to be holy and loving. And that's where we get in trouble, except his love finds a way to honor the holiness and save us. Mercy triumphs over judgment. So, I'll bet Alec likes Snicker bars, so there, you can have that. You, you might need one, I don't know. But anyway, <laughs> so that's where we're at the cross. Let me finish this passage and, and, and bring it home. Um, God publicly displayed him at his death as a mercy seat accessible through faith. This was to demonstrate that he is righteous, that he's not a softy on sin as he appeared in the Old Testament. That's what it's saying. Don't think God's a softy on sin. He's holy. This was to demonstrate his righteousness because God in his forbearance had passed over the sins previously committed. This was also to demonstrate his righteousness in the present time so that he could be just and justifier of the one who lives because of Jesus' faithfulness. God had to save us in a just way, a way that honored his holiness and his love. There's two sides of the cross. Romans 11.22 says this, Consider the kindness and sternness of God. And when I saw that verse, I was troubled by it, and I thought, I know a lot about God's kindness, but I know very little about sternness. Then I studied the wrath of God, one of the best studies I've ever made, uh, ever um, conducted. Because it made me feel so grateful. Because I finally started to understand what I was saved from. That's the value of that. So, lastly, in verse 27, he just says, where then is boasting? Well, you can't boast in ourselves. That's his point. But then you go to other places in the Bible, like, like 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30, or somewhere around there, or, or Philippians chapter 3, or other places, and says, yeah, you can boast in Christ Jesus. So the last point here is to boast or not to boast. Well, not to boast in yourself, but we can be so confident in Jesus because of the cross, because he took all the punishment for all of us, all of our sins, all the sins of the world, that we are completely free, and we don't have to worry about guilt or shame or sin or penalties because of that sacrifice. I used to feel guilty for weeks when I messed up. Now I feel guilty for a moment. Confess to my brothers, confess to my God, and it's over and done, and I can forget what's behind and strain for what's ahead. You know how freeing that is? You know, that's what the world needs to hear. One last verse, and then, uh, and then we'll close her down. So, yeah, we can't boast in ourselves. Don't even try. You'll be miserable, especially if you understand the higher challenges of the New Testament. But in Galatians chapter 6, it just says this. I'll read it to you. Oh, shoot. I brought the wrong Bible up. Let's see if I can quote it from memory. Paul basically says in Galatians chapter 6, verse 14, May I never boast in anything but the cross. For through the cross... The world's interest in me has died, and my interest in the world is also long dead. 
In the cross, we just lose interest in anything the world has to offer because we have so much in him. And so we have, to, we have to realize that. Through the cross, we should be able to have this weird feeling of trembling, awe, fear, reverent joy. We can, we can have this desperate confidence. We're desperate to overcome sin. It takes energy. It takes work. It's a battle. It's a fight. But we're confident that we're safe and secure with God because of that. It's the weirdest thing. But when you get there, at least most of the time, that's when you're really starting to get to know God. Anyway, I'm going to close it down uh, here. Hopefully that's enough to munch on. Uh, Please read over, maybe even listen, because uh, this is some of, if not the most important things we could ever study. Amen. Let's pray together. Uh, Father, thank you so much.